Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast. This free podcast is made possible through gifts by people like you. Please consider making a donation through the donate button on the website to help us offer unique audio, video, and text-based teachings on the internet and to grow this community library. Michael's teaching bridges the gap between inner healing and social change by synthesizing traditional spiritual teachings with the insights of the West. To learn about Michael's international retreats and workshops, please visit michaelstoneteaching.com. Thank you for your support. again. <laughs> um, when you sit still uh, as a group or alone, it's important that you feel that your breath can harmonize with whatever is arising. I say that a hundred times a day. And I think we all need to hear it again and again. That your breath is harmonizing with what's arising. So there can be contact. If there's no contact, then you've created a separate self. When there's contact, there's experience. The experience of your life. And then, the Buddha is not a statue or an idealized image, but then in that moment you've made contact, you're Buddha. You're doing exactly the same thing the Buddha was doing. You're awake in that moment. And the key to this is just to keep letting your practice lead the way. If you let your practice lead the way, then a treasure will emerge. Or as someone said earlier today, um, you discover something you can trust. And then you can turn your life over to practice. I feel sometimes when Christians talk about turning their life over to God, whenever I hear that sentence, I think, yeah. Yeah, I get that. But also, let's remember that practice isn't just sitting still. 
at some point your practice starts moving into the center of your life and practice affects the way you enter and exit the room here. How do you come in the room and how do you leave the room? Because when you are living in a way where you're really disturbed, you disturb two people. You disturb the person who is you and you disturb the person who's here trying to practice. I always say this on retreats, like if you're on retreat and you decide today I'm gonna be a troublemaker, you become trouble for lots of people in the community, <laughs> not just for you. So if you're in the front row, you need to sit in a more uplifted way than if you're in the back because there are, you're in the vision field of other people. But the paradox is, and you need to be yourself. So you can't just fake it. Well, you can, you can fake it. It's a very tiring. When you sit, there's two things I want you to pay attention to in the next couple of days. Um, the first thing is what's often called initial application. Initial application is the intention of taking your attention back into the present moment again. And I, I, let's just say the breath, but you know that there's other things I'm referring to, but let's say the breath. So the initial application is taking your attention back to your breathing. Oh, there's the beginning of the inhale. You know that feeling where like you've wandered off and then, and I don't know if some of you feel it now where once you get the hang of it, you don't tell yourself to go back to the breath. It's just you take a breath and then you, you feel the inhale again suddenly. So the first stage is initial application and then right on the heels of that, the second is sustained application. Initial application, sustained application. Application of attention. If you connect with your breath, but you quickly drift off, then you need to work a little bit more on the sustained application. So if you're pretty good at coming back to the breath, but you notice once you kind of touch the breath, that you just slip off, then try and remember the second piece of a sustained application, harmonizing with your breath. The Buddha used an analogy of polishing a bowl. The first stage is placing the cloth on the bowl, and the second stage is rubbing the bowl. I like this image of rubbing, right? Friction, sustained application. If you lose contact with the bowl, 
you're not polishing a bowl anymore. Or it's like a bee. The Buddha also talked about a bee comes to the flower, hovers around, hovers around, gets closer and closer, and really gets to know its environs. Another image is um, a heron or a large bird like, I don't know. Do you have Canadian geese here? When they go to take off from the water, it's very clumsy, right? There's a lot of flapping and a lot of noise and there's nothing really very elegant about it. But then, once they get the right velocity, um, they just soar, they lift and lift and lift. So same thing, when we first start our practice, it's very clumsy, we're just trying to like get back to the breath. If you even know that you have a body. <laughs> And this takes what in the Yoga Sutra is called uh, viveka, which is discrimination. Which is to be really honest and be able to talk to yourself about what's going on in the practice and monitor. Hey, you know, I'm not here at all. So that takes patience, a lot of patience. And it takes some self-forgiveness because to have beginner's mind, you have to forgive yourself a lot. And it takes a lot of understanding because our minds get tricked really easy, really easily. And all of this monitoring is what we call practice. Checking out how things are going, getting interested, being patient with yourself, forgiving yourself. I think everybody here feels that in the time we've had apart, that if you want to you know, stick with this practice, you have to forgive yourself. Or maybe you had some ideals about what you think the practice was going to turn you into. Because the ego holds the reins. So the ego is like, I know what this practice is, and this is what it's going to give me. So you put your attention on the breath, and you just feel that. Don't lock on. That's not concentration. You don't lock your attention on your breath. You just feel the attention on the breath, and just stay with it. Stay with it. But it's not like a tightening. Does that make sense? It's just a softening. And so very lovingly, you're lining up your attention and your breathing body. It's just like dressing a little kid. Try and dress a three-year-old. <laughs> But if I have the attitude of patience and forgiveness and understanding, then how I dress my three-year-old becomes a practice of being interested in myself. Like, oh, look how impatient I'm getting. That's interesting. <laughs> 
So it's like, what am I learning about myself trying to dress my son? And that's what I'm hoping you're learning about practice, is to just get more interested in how you function. Become more curious about how you function. Not so on top of your troubles, but more interested in your troubles. Is your attention there on the inhale and the exhale equally? Or do you find on the exhale maybe it wavers a little bit? Or maybe you can't connect very well to the beginning of your inhale. Or maybe there's a place on the breath cycle where your attention gets vague and, and, and it's not really there. And you know that saying, an, an idle mind is trouble or something? An idle, idle hands? Okay, well, basically, my interpretation of whatever that quote is, yeah, thank you, is just that basically an idle mind is trouble. Got ya. An idle mind is trouble, so keep it connected to what's happening in the present moment. What idle mean? Idle? not really engaged, not in gear. Like when your car's idling, it's, it's usually not in gear. I don't think you can idle and be in gear. Yeah, that would be interesting. If you notice that your attention mostly is wandering away when you're exhaling, then give a little more attention to your exhale. If you notice as you're inhaling, your attention is not really there, then maybe just breathe a little deeper when you inhale at that time to get your attention there, to get interested in the inhale. I do the same thing with my body. Like, like our bodies are all asymmetrical, right? And you can't make your body perfectly symmetrical, but you can change how muscle groups turn on so that you can find more symmetry. I do this like in Baddha Konasana. Does anybody practice that? Cobbler's pose. You put your feet together like this. It's hard to do on a cushion. And um, one knee is always higher than the other. Uh, so if one knee is higher, you have to take the glutes on that side and you have to just turn them on a little bit more so that the knees are balanced, so your sacrum is balanced if you do a forward bend. So it's the same thing physiologically, the uh, same thing psychologically, rather. Right? You notice the attention's kind of rolling away when you exhale, right? So just put a little more effort there for a few breaths, and it starts to pick up. So the other thing I wanted to mention, because it came up a little bit this morning, is um, to also bring your attention to the way your mind creates expectations. We can see how sometimes we want things to turn out a certain way. 
we expect something to happen in a very specific way. And I think we bring this mind to meditation a lot. Like maybe you signed up for this course and you thought that at this point in the course you were going to be at a very advanced level of concentration. In fact, what the course is showing you is things are kind of messy. And sometimes if we really want something to happen, we get really disappointed. Really disappointed that it's not turning out the way that we hoped. And living through the lens of uh, expectations really limits us. And it limits us because there's all these blessings all over the place, but we can't see them. There's a blessing here and here and here and here. We can't see it because we're in a whole abstract world of what we were expecting to get. So when you sit in meditation, it's so important that you just trust the process. Sit down, trust the process. This is also very useful in general. <laughs> to see your attachment to your expectations. Expectations can really fuck up our relationships. Sometimes we expect other people to keep treating us badly, and they don't. We expect they're going to treat us badly, and they don't. Or there's some people who are just mildly annoying, and then one day they're not. But we keep relating to them as if they're mildly annoying which means like just not really listening to them. We don't allow for them to change. So the solution to this, of course, is not to have no expectations, because that's absurd. Nobody can live without any expectations. In a way, the problem is not the expectation, it's the grasping around our expectations. So it's important you recognize when expectations present. Or maybe another solution is just to expect anything. Like that's beginner's mind, right? If you're really into expectations, just expect anything. So, I thought I'd tell you a story, share with you a story. This is uh, one of the Aesop fables. Did anybody read that when they were small? Aesop's fables. So there was an old farmer. An old farmer. Um, it was summer, and he was dying. And he cared for a very large 
pasture. Many generations. And um, as he was dying, he said to his three kids, um, this pasture is yours when I die. And there's a treasure in the field. And I want you to have the treasure when you die. When I die, sorry. So um, the kids say, okay, we'll, 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 we'll find it, we'll take care of it. And then uh, the father dies. And um, not long after the death, the kids go out and uh, start digging in the field, looking for the treasure. They dig and dig and dig, no treasure. So they wait a little while, get some energy together again, and they dig and dig and dig and dig, no treasure. So, one more time. They get out in the field and they dig and they dig and still can't find a treasure. And so they give up. And they're confused and bewildered, disoriented. Uh, then the next spring, an incredible harvest. <coughs> the whole field full of vegetables. From all that digging. So this is exactly how practice works. You wake up in the morning and you're like, oh God. <laughs> I'm too old for this. And then you sit. And then after you sit, you feel pretty good and you're glad you sat and so on. But this adds up over time. This adds up over time. And one of the things that I, I hope you'll feel, and this is why I suggest retreat to everybody, is that when you start really dropping into quietude, um, you start reworking a field that's deeper than just the field that you know about, where you're like up here moving things around. Oh, this relationship's not working and this job's not working. And like you're moving your life around up here. But there's this whole field that needs attention that you can't get to like just cognitively. And later in the week when we talk about trauma, we're gonna talk about that field more. But meditation is really healing that field. Shinru Suzuki says, don't worry about enlightenment. Enlightenment is easy. Just do the practice without seeking anything. Isn't that the hardest thing? To see in ourselves how we always want a result? My perspective has always been we start from enlightenment and we work towards our life. Like it's the enlightened mind that brought you here. The enlightened mind brings you to the practice and then the practice takes you into your life. 
It's not the other way around. What brings you to practice is your enlightened mind. What inspired me in my practice was finding a good teacher. And I knew they were a good teacher because they didn't promise anything. So you're turning over the mind that has a lot of expectations to the practice. And there's so much healing that happens in an awareness practice, in a stillness practice. But like, sometimes the message doesn't get to the cognitive mind and it's just still making up stories. I noticed it this morning as people were talking, there was a phrase that I heard quite a few times, which is, uh, and it's good. Like my practice is this and this and this, or I'm doing this and this, or I'm feeling this in this way, and I'm good. And sometimes I think to myself when I hear that, why do you have to sum up at the end? Like, and I'm, do you hear what I'm saying there? Like, like in Zen, there's this, uh, story of a student who goes to a teacher and says, do you know the last word of Zen? And the teacher says, uh, no. And then the student starts spreading gossip about the teacher, that this teacher doesn't know the last word of Zen. Just like the punchline. The teacher doesn't know. Anyways, this goes on a long time. The student goes through many. It's a great story. It's much longer than we have time for now. But in the end, the student starts to realize there is no last word. It's like in an argument where you want to have the last word. Does anybody do this? <laughs> yeah. I remember we used to have this thing with my brother where you diss them. Yeah. And then you say, yeah, you and infinity plus one. <laughs> infinity plus one. And then you've got the last word. <laughs> so we do this to our, in our own experience. So what I mean by that is summing up. Like what, what if you could just feel what your experience is, articulate what your experience is to yourself, like internally. And that's just your experience. And then it changes. Like, so not having the last word, that's just another expectation that your life is supposed to go a certain way. Yeah. Isn't there also uh, social and cultural expectations about being okay? I'm okay, I'm okay. Yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, so absolutely. Like, yeah, so I mean, it's something I recognize within myself as well. Yeah, yeah. And like, partly that's, partly for me personally, I feel it's just to say that's, um, I'm okay if nothing's okay. Yeah. You know, that, that sort of perspective. But also, I'm very much aware that's when I'm talking to uh, mm-hmm. people, and if I'm not feeling really okay, and mm-hmm. part of the reason why I always say, oh, but I'm okay with that, yeah. is because to make them feel comfortable as well. Right. Because mm-hmm. I, I tend to find so yeah. 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 Uh-huh. 
Yeah, so let's all watch that in ourselves, both in communication with others, but also like in our own practice. Like what if we just said, oh, meditation was kind of rough today. As opposed to meditation was kind of rough, but I see it in the grander frame of how my practice is going. It's like, oh, you just, I lost you. When you said it was rough, my heart and your heart were connected. And as soon as you summed up, I lost you. You know when you're feeling someone when they're talking and then they start summing up and you're, it's gone. What's that? And you're gone. So just, you know, know what's happening and leave it there. Yeah, I mean, we're not used to actually just being in the present moment without grasping. Yeah, yeah, that last word is grasping. It's like plugging it into like, and this is my life. Oh, you just lost it. You just lost it. And so you'll want to please me by what? Nodding or something or smiling yeah, or saying, hey, that was a great day. Yeah, no, 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 you know, it was tough, but it's okay. Um, you know, I understand it's part of the process. Kind of qualifying yeah. everything, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want you to do that. <laughs> yeah. I wonder whether Yeah, I mean, it is about other people's expectations. It's not just about, or perhaps I feel a need to fulfill what other people Yeah, I do it a lot in the UK. I think it's quite a sort of British thing as well. British, perhaps, yeah. So, like, checking with the manual. Oh, okay, I'm supposed to be here now, and then, okay, fine, check, okay. Mm -hmm. I was following along in some script that you think has been written for you. Yeah. Maybe it's also just about reassuring yourself that, mm. that you're not promoting it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so... What, what, so what are you doing when you reassure yourself? I'm not saying it's right. No, but I'm just, not right or wrong. Just what are you doing when you, like, let's get interested in that. Mm. So what are you doing when you are reassuring yourself? What are you doing? I guess we're sort of dissociating. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's like there's another person mm -hmm. there. It's totally self-conscious. It's very self-conscious. Who are those two people though? Which one is the real person? There's an experience that's happening and then you're like, 
then there's like a me that's reassuring myself. So that's three people. <laughs> right? The me is reassuring a self that's mine. Just to be sure that that self is, is myself. And that whole thing is all a fabrication. It's all a fabrication. Or you go back down to the core of it. And there was just a present moment of, I don't know, whatever it was. Tired, discomfort, agitated, disappointed. Yeah. Well, then, then why can't it be okay? Well, that's what I'm asking. It's fine to say that it's, it's okay, yeah. that you're feeling all those things. The problem is, is when you're living in the place of fabrication, you're dissociated from what's actually happening. You don't feel it. It increases anxiety. It increases self-consciousness. It lowers self-esteem. When you're where? In which one? When you're in the self that believes that reassuring yourself is needed to ground yourself. Isn't it drawing comparisons? Because you have to have an ideal. Yeah. Yeah. But isn't that a safety mechanism that is, if you take that off, then you need to wide gap for. I think there needs to be some safety to allow that to go. Okay, let's leave that question for a couple days. The question is, do you need to have a certain amount of stability or safety, let's say, to be able to do that? Can, is it okay if we leave it for a few days? That's a good one. We're going to spend a whole half a day on that one. Yeah. I think if somebody said, yeah, if somebody said, I'm tired and I'm happy to be here, I'd feel that. But when somebody says, I'm, I'm tired and I'm happy to be here, but I'm just, just fine, there's like this one move that you can feel when someone's giving the last word. It's a closing off. Yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And to tie it back to what I was saying earlier, like this is another layer of looking at expectation. And who knows where it comes from? It's like everything I say. That's right. It's like everything you say? <laughs> Did you just sum up? <laughs> okay. Um, has time flown by today? Or is it just from this side of the room? Yeah.
It's flown. It's flown. Wow. We have so much to cover this week. Yeah. Um, we were going to do two exercises this afternoon, but I'm afraid we will only have time for one.